Neil Dutter for Renaissance Macro says what slow down, writing the following. While inflation is moderating somewhat, real economic activity is accelerating. The widening gap between actual economic conditions and expectations may prompt an abrupt and potentially disruptive period. So is the U.S. economy picking up or slowing down? Joining us now is Jim Bianco of Bianco Research and Megan Green of the Kroll Institute, who wrote in the FT this past week, quote, it may be the most anticipated recession in history. Economists have been forecasting contraction for the U.S. economy since at least April. But a bit like Godot, it has yet to show up. Credit the cash cushion American consumers and corporations built during the pandemic, but that will eventually disappear, and then the economy will nosedive. Megan, let's start with you then. Which one is it? Are we slowing down or picking up? We're slowing down. There's no question about it. But we're not. We're not in a recession yet, and and that's what I meant when I said it's the most anticipated recession. It's just not here yet. And I do think it is because consumers and businesses are still spending. And why wouldn't they be? Excess savings, you know, is around 1.5 trillion uh, among consumers. That's down pretty significantly from the pandemic high of 2.3 trillion. But you know, it's it's come down, and it's coming down rapidly. But it's still pretty high. And moreover, the labor market's really strong. So until we see the labor market really deteriorate, people are going to keep spending whatever their bank balances are showing. There's some signs of stress. You know, credit card balances have jumped 15% in the third quarter. That's the biggest jump we've seen in 20 years. Um, but that being said, it's, it's from really, really low levels. Businesses are also seeing delinquencies rise, but again, from incredibly low levels. So I think this cash cushion means we can ride out the first half of next year without a recession, but then I think we're going to see the economy dip. Jim Bianco, what's your take on this big debate right now? It is, as Megan said, it's probably the most anticipated recession that we've ever seen. The survey, the federal, Philly Fed does a survey of professional forecasters, and it's a 50-year high in the number of people expecting a recession. But they're expect also, unemployment is supposed to soar next year. Stock strategists are negative, the most negative in the 25 years of the Bloomberg history. And if you look at their earnings forecasts, they're the worst after inflation in 40 years of data. Not after 9-11, not after the tech bubble, not after the Great Recession did we see people this bearish. It's all about the rise in rates and them thinking that they've overdone it. And the problem is, normally on Wall Street, you get fired for being this bearish. But why isn't anybody getting fired? Because in 2023, it's all about cheap money and it's all about liquidity. And the hope is the economy turns down. <clears throat> then the Fed pivots and cuts rates, and then the markets respond positively. So this is the new bull call for 2023. Say that everything's going to fall apart, and then Jay Powell's got to pivot, and then the markets will rally. The bear story is kind of what Megan said. Nothing bad happens. And then the Fed raises rates, and they raise rates a little bit more, and then they hold it throughout 2023. Jim, listen to what we're saying. The hope is that the economy slows down. Isn't that just bizarre that we're saying that out loud? It is bizarre. This is the upside down world we are. 15 years of quantitative easing, zero interest rates, negative interest rates, forward guidance has got the market to become like a liquidity junkie. It only wants cheap money. It only wants low rates. And that's all it responds to. Look at how it responds to the CPI report and Fed speeches. It doesn't respond to anything like that in corporate America. Megan, is it bad that payroll surprise to the upside, that wage growth comes in hotter than expected? Is it bad that the ISM services indicator yesterday was better than expected? Is that bad news? 
Yeah, particularly the wage growth figure, even though wages are growing more slowly than prices, so people's standards of living are deteriorating. But all the data that you've, you've aggregated there for us, John, suggests that the Fed's going to have to hike even more. Markets have repriced hikes, so now you know it's consensus to say that the Fed will have to get rates above 5% which will just cause uh, a deeper downturn. And so I do think overall that's pretty bad news. Um, the, you know, the Fed is worried about inflation. They're going to do whatever they need to do to bring it down, I think. But I, I think that does mean re raising rates above 5% and then holding there. There is a, a bare scenario, though, where we have a short and shallow recession, which is what I'm expecting, but then you end up with a financial crisis on top of it. And I think since Jim brought up liquidity, it's worth pointing out that there isn't much of it. Even the U.S. Treasury market is highly stressed now. And so as the Fed is hiking rates and shrinking its balance sheet, as investors are noting that they're taking losses in bonds and equities at the same time, so they're moving into cash, liquidity is being withdrawn. And I think we're going to get a bunch of market blowups over the course of the next year off the back of that. I think the Fed can probably handle those blowups, but if it can't, we get a financial crisis on top of a short and shallow recession, it would turn it into a much deeper recession. And Megan, when you talk of blowups, what do they look like? Where do you expect to find them? I think they look, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot like uh, the UK LDI blowup that we saw this fall, um, where you've got pockets of illiquidity that the central bank has to step in to paper over. Where are we going to find them? Probably not in the banking sector, since you know after the global financial crisis, our banks are better regulated, have higher capital ratios. Um, we'll see them in shadow banking, which is bad news, because we have very little visibility on what's happening under the hood in shadow banking. Um, one area I'm worried about is corporate debt in the US. Uh, it's, it's a big market and about a third of our corporate debt is triple B rated, so the bottom rung for investment grade. If you get a bunch of downgrades, you may end up having forced sellings by bond funds, which could turn into kind of a, an LDI-style doom loop that the Fed has to paper over, and the Fed isn't going to want to buy junk bonds, so that will be challenging. The U.S. Treasury market could be a problem, particularly next year as we go into a showdown over the debt ceiling. So there are a lot of possibilities in terms of where these blowups could happen, but I think they're going to happen across the developed world in 2023. Jim, do you share that view too? Yeah, I do. I share the view that their liquidity is poor and the markets are very stressed. And that's one of the arguments I hear all the time that the Fed's got to pivot because of that situation. And I do worry that there's going to be a problem. The only thing I would add to what Megan said is that the bond market is too big, it's too complicated, and it's too opaque. For me or anybody else or Jamie Dimon or anybody in between to basically say, there's where it's going to be. But when a market is this stressed and liquidity is this poor, it doesn't take much to create a crisis. And so, yes, it wouldn't surprise me if we did see one in 2023. So are we being too cute for next year and the runway, the glide path through 2023? You guys are familiar with the consensus. Here's another one this morning, this time from Unicredit, and this is not a dig at Unicredit. We've heard this from pretty much every bank on the street. Here's the quote. Ongoing sharp monetary tightening and an upcoming recession pose significant downside risk. They're talking about Europe. Could apply to the US. However, evidence of slowing core inflation, peaking official rates, and signs of economic recovery should pave the way for more risk-taking in the second half of 23. Megan, can you weigh in on this? Are we being too cute about the glide path for 2023? 
Yeah, I don't think Unicredit's quote applies to the U.S. because the U.S. is going to go into a recession much later than Europe is. Um, so, you know, I don't think that it, the second half of 2023, as we're going into a recession, is a time to take on risk in the U.S. I think that would be a bad call. Are we being cute, though? I, I assume you mean, are, are we being too sanguine about how this will go? Um, I don't think so. I think that the Fed... Um, is serious about leaning against inflation, but is also trying its hardest not to prompt a recession. I don't think they'll succeed, unfortunately, but I do think that the Fed's going to pause at some point uh, in the first half of next year, and will hold rates high for a while before pivoting. Um, that does mean that they're unlikely to just keep ratcheting rates up forever, and, and that's been digested by the markets. The markets understand that. So I think that we can expect a short and shallow Recession, one thing, though, we haven't seen is a deterioration in the labor market. A tick up in unemployment is the best indicator of a recession, but that doesn't tend to happen until after the Fed has already reached its peak rate. And so I think we're going to have to wait to see that. And that, of course, is also when consumers will stop spending and, and will really go into a downturn. When I say too cute, Megan, I'm just thinking we're being way too specific about the absolute unknown in 2023. Jim Bianco, you mentioned the outlook on the S&P 500. The average forecast in our survey on the S&P year-end 23, 4,009 on the S&P 500. At the close yesterday, 3998.84. So basically 4K. So Jim Bianco, the consensus view on the street right now, and I get the range of estimates is still pretty wide, but Jim, from where we are, the consensus view looks like this. We're at 4K right now on the S&P. We'll end year-end 23 at 4K. You're going to get this downdraft in the economy in the first half, bad earnings, a bad equity market. Then in the second half, you're going to price in a Fed that backs away in a better economy, and this equity market's going to rip into year-end. Jim, what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, that is that is what everybody is hoping for. And you're right that the, the spread or the dispersion between all those forecasts is about as wide as we've ever seen. It's like 30 percent between the highest and the lowest forecast. But I do think that they are being a little bit too cute because this whole idea about that we're going to have some kind of a soft landing that we're going to print like minus 0.1 for a couple of quarters on GDP. By the way, we did that last year in the first and second or this year, excuse me, in the first and second quarter. And then we were going to see the Fed pivot and everything take off. Typically, it doesn't work that way, that when the economy gets the momentum on the downside, it gets the momentum on the downside and it keeps going. Uh, when the unemployment rate goes up and it goes up enough, it keeps going more than just a couple of tenths. It goes up one, two, three percent. And that's why I, I understand what you're saying. And I agree that we are being a little bit too cute. We're kind of having this path with a couple of turns along the way when we should just be saying, look, if it's going south, it's going south. Or if it's not going to go south, it's not going to go south, but this whole idea that it's going to go south for a while, and then we're going to turn north again, yeah. and therefore you let the market, you know, wait until June and just start buying the market like crazy. It's all about the Fed. They all need the Fed to pivot because it's all about cheap money. And by pivot, we mean cuts. So let's go there. Just a quick yes yeah. or no. Jim, have you got the Fed cutting rates in 23? Yes or no? No, I do not. Megan? Megan, where are you on the Fed next year? Are they cutting in 23? No, I, I don't think so. I think they're getting rates above 5% and will and we'll stick there throughout the, the rest of the year. That's going to be tough for a lot of people. That really is, if that's what transpires. Megan Green's going to stick with us alongside Jim Bianco. Equity futures right now unchanged on the S&P 500. Coming up, is it the beginning of the end for the talent war on Wall Street? The talent war is... is 
is um, I think there's some headwinds given we're changing economic conditions, but the competition for talent is still very, very strong. Now, how that evolves in 2023 is unknown. Certainly, if we have a slower economic environment, it will have an effect. That conversation, I'm next. shouldn't be surprising to people watching the performance of the business this year that 2021 was an exceptional year. It was a record year for the firm. It was the highest debt revenue year ever for the firm. 2022 is a different year, and so naturally, compensation will be lower. That was the Goldman CEO, David Solomon, in the last hour. Elsewhere, the biggest banks on Wall Street might be about to send a message to their bankers, prepare for smaller bonuses. Bloomberg reporting in the past week that JP Morgan, Bank of America, and Citi are all weighing plans to cut bonus pools for their investment bankers by as much as 30%. Some firms are planning to give low performers no reward at all. The proposals are still under discussion and could change in the coming weeks. Joining us now is Bloomberg Shanali Basak from the Goldman Financial Services Conference. Fantastic conversation, Shanali. Just walk us through what you've learned from David Solomon in the last 60 minutes or so. Listen, his view has not changed very meaningfully on the economic outlook here, but he did say slowing down economic activity, you have to be cautious with sizing in that kind of environment. They're constrained activity levels, and that's what you have to prepare for as a CEO of a major bank. Now, listen, why is this important, John? Uh, on background, I've had multiple firms now tell me that Goldman might set the standard. It often does, but it might set the standard here on Wall Street on just how far those cuts can go. Interestingly, also here, and remember, Goldman is today speaking from a moment of strength. They're their stock is down less than all of their biggest rivals here when you look at uh, year-to-date performance. And so when you look at him planning for a year like next year and saying that they are still considering uh, further cost cuts or further, uh, further con uh, cautious with ca cautiousness with sizing, it is interesting to hear him say that they are still preparing for more pain ahead. What were your thoughts on his views on 2023? Is that a man speaking with conviction or just absolute uncertainty about what's about to come around the corner? It's preparation, right? Because no matter how bad it gets, you need to make sure that the firm is ready to uh, be profitable in that kind of an environment. Remember, in just a little while here, we'll also be speaking to Brian Moynihan, whose firm has not really announced the same level of cuts or downsizing or even reductions in the investment banking businesses. Again, remember, Goldman, not only is their stock doing better at investment banking, if you look at the market share uh, gains that they've had, they are up seven to nine percentage points more on mergers and acquisitions tables than any one of their rivals. So for him to be that prepared for a year ahead when this year ended up not being so bad, it's a really interesting thing to hear them say that we're going to prepare for the worst and take it from there. Shanali, wonderful work as always and looking forward to your conversation with Mr. Moynihan a little bit later. Shanali, thank you. To Shanali's point, of course, not all banks on Wall Street created equally, but look at the performance year to date. Goldman down just, let's call it 3%. Bank of America down more than 22%. Morgan Stanley down about 8.5%. 5% City down by 24%, JP Morgan down by a little more than 17%. We'll catch up with Shanali again a little bit later. I want to talk about these layoffs. We've discussed briefly maybe the end of the talent war on Wall Street. It's not just Wall Street and it's not just tech that is facing maybe a little bit of difficulty. This from the Wall Street Journal reporting the following in the last 24 hours. PepsiCo is laying off workers at the headquarters of its North American snacks and beverages divisions. Hundreds of jobs will be eliminated. Thank you with us. Jim Bianco, Megan Green. Megan, I'd love your thought on this. 
To what extent is this labour market rebalancing in America? How far along are we? Unfortunately, I think we have a ways to go in terms of rebalancing. I spend a lot of time presenting to and talking to CFOs of corporates, um, mostly non-financial corporates, and the number one complaint they have is that they just can't find talent. And they can't find talent globally either, which suggests that even if you have some layoffs in the U.S., that's not going to address the, the imbalances in the labor market where you just can't find the skills that you need um, for certain jobs. The low-wage, low-hour services jobs, um, might balance a little bit better. Uh, but overall, I think we have a, a skills mismatch in the U.S. economy that's going to be severe for a while. The labor market will have to deteriorate much more uh, before we see that uh, addressed. Jim Bianco, your take on this. Yeah, I, I agree with Megan that the, the labor market, the problem with the labor market for Wall Street is, is that it's not falling apart. Last week, we got the November payroll report. It was the eighth time in a row that we've beaten the consensus. That's the longest streak that we've seen since we started measuring the consensus in the mid-1990s. The JOLTS report says that there's 10 million open jobs for 6 million unemployed workers. I know we focus a lot on layoffs because those are headline grabbing and those are very gut-wrenching <laughs> and emotional, but the fact of the matter is, is that most employers seem to be trying to hoard labor or at least trying to hire more than people are laying off. Now, of course, the other thing about the layoffs is, is that they tend to be, at least the headlines are more focused in tech. I understand PepsiCo and some other companies are, now, are also doing it, and that grabs a lot of headlines as well. So overall, no, the labor market is not showing any signs of deterioration, at least not yet. Uh, Jim, you've picked up on the right theme, I think. It's a phrase we've used a few times on this program. It's not mine. I wish I remember where I got it from, but you can't fire what you couldn't hire. Uh, Jim, and I just wonder from your perspective how different the character of a potential downturn would be with that in mind. Yeah, I think that at least before we start to see, you know, widespread sell-offs or, excuse me, uh, layoffs in the labor market, we'd have to see the JOLTS report at least show that we're not still looking for 10 million uh, openings. We still don't have 10 million openings while we're trying to lay people off. That number will have to at least come down, come down quite a bit. Once all the openings go away, then you could start talking about the labor market deteriorating. But that's not going to happen in one or two months at the, at the number of openings that we have. And you're right. Most people are afraid to get rid of workers because they're afraid that if the economy turns higher, they're not going to be able to get them back. Megan, what's your take on that one? Yeah, so I think Jim is right to, to highlight labor hoarding. I think there is some degree of that going on, and we, we don't really have a good handle on how much. Uh, it was so hard to find people to hire before that even in the face of a downturn, companies are, are hanging on to them because they don't want to lay them off and then have to go through that process all over again. But the narrative that Jim is telling is the one that the Fed is peddling, that you know we won't see a deterioration in the labor market, or we needn't see one because we can just go ahead uh, hike rates, tighten policy, lean against demand, and, and that will whittle down the job openings. As you well know, uh, Larry Summers and Olivier Blanchard have looked at the data, and their their line is that that's a great theory. It's just literally never happened in real life. And so I don't think we're going to see all these openings disappear, and, and maybe that could be a huge buffer for the labor market. I do think we're, we're going to see more openings disappear, but unemployment is going to start ticking up uh, before those job openings openings are really gone. Megan, what kind of number do you think we have to prepare for? How high do you think unemployment could potentially go through next year? 
Yeah, so I think unemployment uh, will probably have to go above 5%, which is a, a pretty big increase from where we are now. We're at 3.7% now. And in percentage points, that's not much. In terms of you know the impact on actual people, that's really significant. So I think we are going to see a, a pretty significant deterioration of the labor market. It's just going to take a while. Again, because you know there's so much cash in the economy, if companies are sitting on this big cash cushion, uh, they're going to need to burn through it before they really feel like they're going to let people go again because of labor hoarding as well. Megan, this was brilliant, as always. The fantastic Megan Green alongside the brilliant Jim Bianco. To the two of you, thank you. Equities right now still unchanged on the S&P 500. Coming up on the program, why the airline industry is set to achieve its first post-pandemic profit next year. And on the bond market, Eric Nelson of Wells Fargo says 10-year yields are, quote, simply too low. That conversation still ahead.